Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church, Toronto West. It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the Word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now as you prepare your heart to receive God's Word, we pray that His Spirit would use the sermon powerfully in your life. If you have a Bible this morning, please open it up to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, we're going to be looking at verses 14 to 21. If you don't have a Bible, the ushers are just going to be walking up and down the aisles right now. You can just raise your hand. They'll love to get a copy of God's Word into your hand, and you can turn there with all of us to Romans chapter 15, verse 14. Before we read the text, I have a question for us. The question is this. Are you an ambitious person? Do you have ambition? Do you have passion? Do you have urgency to accomplish something with your life? Do you have goals? Are you driven? Are you resolved? Are you enthusiastic about what really matters in this life? Do you, do you have ambition? Do we, as a church, do we have ambition? Some of us are living today without, without ambition. We're apathetic about almost everything. We're kind of just coasting through life. No goals, no direction, no mission. Your favorite answer to any question is, I don't know, what do you want to do with your life? I don't know, what do you want to eat for lunch? I don't know, what is this church all about? What is the mission? What's the goal? I don't know, why did Jesus come? I don't know. Some of us are very ambitious, but for the wrong things and for the wrong reasons. We are driven and we're dedicated. We have goals, but ultimately, they're for our own glory. They're for our own name. Our plans revolve just around us. We rarely acknowledge or seek God in our endeavors, and there's really no serious impact on those around you for Jesus. And yet still, there are some of us who are ambitious in the right way for the right things, and it's this ambition that I want us to observe in our passage today, to learn from Paul's example and my hope for us, my hope for myself is that I would be moved to, be, to live with ambition, to live a life that I can be proud of, a life of purpose for the things that really matter. And if you're in that with me, if that's what you want, then eyes in your Bible, we're going to be in Romans 15, and this is what the Word of God says. Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, 
by the power of, this, of signs and wonders and by the power of the spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Lyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And listen to this. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Amen. This is the word of God for us this morning, but notice there aren't any commands for us in the text. Paul's not telling us anything specific that he wants us to do. And that's okay because there's still a tremendous purpose in this text for us. Even though we don't hear from Paul a specific command, we can actually observe in the life and the words of Paul an example that we are to follow and to observe. You know, there are a number of things we can learn as we read Paul's final thoughts. You know, he's closing up his letter to the Romans and he's got some final thoughts, his plans, where he's going, who he wants us or who he wants the readers to greet and all that good stuff. But there's many things we can learn. But the one thing I really want us to see this morning is Paul's example of ambition, his ambition to preach the gospel. See, Paul has a goal. He has a purpose. He has direction in his life. He's determined. He's diligent. He's driven. Of course, he has Ambition, and so if you're feeling ambitious today, you can take some notes with me. On the screen for you are some notes that I want you to follow along with. Three lessons from Paul's ambition to preach the gospel. Three lessons from Paul's ambition to preach the gospel. And here's, here's the first one. In our ambition, we should serve others so they can grow in holiness and worship. See, the first lesson we learn from Paul's ambition is that in our ambition, we got to serve. Romans chapter one, verse one is the way Paul starts this letter to the Romans. This is how he introduces himself. He says, he is a servant, a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. And here in verse 16 of our text, he says that he's a minister of Christ Jesus, that he serves Christ Jesus. Jesus, that he is the hands and feet of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, that he is serving them in the priestly, what's the word there? Service of the gospel of God. See, in our ambition, we are to prioritize serving others. And isn't this the opposite of the way that ambition works in our culture today? A lot of the ambition we see in business, social media, the workplace, academia, it's all selfish ambition, right? You've heard these words, it's a rat race. It's a dog eat dog world. It's whatever it takes, no matter the cost to others. But as Christians who've experienced the servant leadership of Jesus Christ, we cannot pursue our own goals at the expense of others, at the expense of our families, at the expense of our friends, at the expense of coworkers or employees or peers or anyone, period. Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve and laid down his life as a ransom for us. How then can we not lay down our lives for the sake of others? Who's losing for you to gain? Who's suffering for you to succeed? 
Who's being forgotten for you to make a name for yourself? Christian, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Matthew 20, verse 26 to 28. Paul understood who his Lord was. And Paul was an example. He imitated Jesus Christ. And now we can see Paul's example and imitate him. Paul was deeply ambitious, but always sought to serve. He didn't step over people to fulfill his ministry. He stepped to the people. His ministry was people. So here, here for us from our text, a couple practical ways we can serve others. A couple practical ways we can serve others. And and the first one is this, through words of encouragement. Through words of encouragement. Verse 14, Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. Paul is encouraging the church in Rome. He says he's satisfied with them. He's convinced. He's convinced that they're the real deal. You know how many brothers and sisters in this room are struggling because they feel like they're messing everything up and what they need is just that simple word of encouragement, that word that says, hey, you're doing good. You're on the right track. Keep going. Don't don't give up. We can't underestimate the power of those gracious words. You know, Paul tells the Roman church, he says, you are full of goodness in verse 14. You know, he says he sees some really good stuff in their life. He sees some good character in them. And then, of course, he says you're full of knowledge. He sees some maturity, some growth. So, so much so that he says you guys can even be teaching others and instructing one another. It's interesting because Paul just spoke some bold and hard things to the church. But he can still stop and say, but you're doing good. I'm not disappointed in you. I'm actually really impressed with you. How many parents in the room need to hear that for their children? I'm not disappointed. I'm really impressed with you. I'm satisfied. How many older believers in the room today need to do that to a younger believer? You're good. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep growing. Don't underestimate the power of encouragement in your ambition. Be generous. Be very generous with encouragement. I would, I would say we would probably be more generous to people if we saw them the way Christ sees us, right? Grace, a work in progress. Let's encourage one another. That's one practical way we can serve others. Another way is through reminders of truth. Reminders of truth. Verse 15 says this, but on some points I have written to you very boldly, by way of reminder. Of course, you know, of course we have to be gracious, encouraging in every word we use. But on some points, we need to speak the truth boldly into people's lives. It is ultimately unloving to people if we know that they are straying down dangerous paths and we're quiet and we don't say anything to help correct their course. 
Now, if we saw our children, if we saw some friends making some unwise decisions with maybe the, the people that they're, they're associating with, maybe with the choices that they're making, if, if the, the people closest to us or the people we see all around us, if they're choosing to live in a way that's not glorifying to God, in our ambition to see God glorified, we should say something and boldly at that, calling sin, sin, and pointing them back to the word. If the individual is not a believer, this could be what helps them understand their sinful heart and their need for repentance in life. And that's a good thing. That is a good sting to experience in your life. And if they are a believer, remember this, what you're saying is not new. <laughs> what you're saying is not new to them. It's a reminder. Paul says, by way of reminder. But let's, let's be honest. We all need reminders. We all need reminders of the truth. Even those who have, of us who are full of goodness and knowledge, even those of us who are able to instruct others, our elders, our staff, our deacons, our small group leaders, the members of this church, we all need to be reminded sometimes. So who, who are you encouraging? Who are you reminding? Who's encouraging and reminding you? Because there's a purpose. There's a purpose in our, in our encouragement and in our, in our reminding. It's so that others can grow in their holiness and their worship of God. In verse 16, Paul says he's a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel. Listen to this so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. See, when people believe the gospel and they put their faith in the gospel, they are changed. They are changed in such a radical way that their lives become an offering, a sacrifice to God, which is their spiritual worship. We learned about that in Romans 12, verse 1. But this change, it doesn't happen all at once. It takes time, it takes encouragement, it takes reminding. Over time, the gospel changes us in all aspects of our lives. It changes the way we speak, it changes the way we live, it changes our parenting, it changes our relationships, it changes the way we vote, it changes our business practices, it changes us. As people are taught everything Christ has commanded, their lives will become more worshipful and more glorifying to God. And in our ambition, we should seek to serve others so that can be true in their lives, that they can grow, that they can grow. Three lessons from the ambition of Paul. The first was serve others so they can grow. The second is this, in our ambition, we should acknowledge the grace and power of God in our lives. Paul in verse 17 says this, in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. And Paul says he has reason to be proud in his work for God. And as Christians, you know, sometimes we struggle with the idea of taking pride in our work. Sometimes we struggle to take pride in the things that we are accomplishing with our lives because, well, 
pride is pride, right? And isn't, pride is, is sinful. But the ambition, so, and the reason we feel that way is because the ambition we often see in the world around us is so full of pride and boasting in who? In self, in me, in what I've done. Look at me, look at me. But there's an ambition that Paul has that doesn't boast in self. It boasts in God. He acknowledges that everything he has done has been by the grace and power of God in his life, period. Notice verse 15, it says, because, at the end of verse 15, uh, Paul's saying, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ, by the grace given me. See, the only reason he's serving as a minister of Christ is because God in Christ has poured out grace into his life to save and to transform his life. He isn't walking around thinking, oh man, I'm awesome, right? He's not thinking, I've made it, I've done it, I've accomplished all these incredible things. He's not thinking that. He has a deep sense of how unworthy he really is and how unable he is to do the work. On the screen for you, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 to 10 says this. Paul says this. I love this, this passage. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Amen. Sometimes I fill in the blanks here. Sometimes I say, Lord, I'm the least of the fathers, unworthy to even be a dad because I am short-tempered, impatient, self-centered, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Church, fill in the blanks in this prayer. Yes, we are the least. Yes, we came from a dark past, yet God is at work in your life by his grace, and now you can work hard to bring glory to his name Know that Paul had credentials. He wasn't a nobody. He was a somebody. But what he put on his resume was the fact that he was saved by grace. He didn't deserve the forgiveness and mercy of God, but he got it. He didn't deserve to be serving God in this way, but here he was anyway. And it was this deep thankfulness for grace that led him to work hard. It was grace it was a knowledge of grace that fueled his ambition. What is fueling your ambition? Is it the prize of success? Is it the hope that more people will like me? All those things will crumble and you will crumble with it. Is it the knowledge of God's grace and his gospel in your life? Is that what is fueling you to keep going to work hard? Even his hard work was not him. It was Jesus in him. It's incredible. Our identity and our ambition must be rooted in this truth. That we work, and at the very same time, God works in us. Yet not I, but Christ 
through me. It was Paul's priestly service of the gospel, as he says, but then it's also the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. It's his ministry of word and deed, but it is also the power of the Spirit of God in his life. It's not one or the other, it's both. Christian, you are in Jesus and he is in us. It's no longer we who live, but it is Christ living through us. And that's incredibly powerful. That's incredibly powerful. Jesus has cleansed us of our sins through faith in him. He has made his home in our hearts and he is alive. Jesus is alive in you, working through you. So some practicals for us again, because we need some practicals. What does this union with Christ look like in our ambition? The first thing is this, work hard. Work hard. Those who are ambitious work. They work hard. Paul says that he is proud of his work for God. And to say Paul worked as an understatement. There was times in his ministry that he would be preaching the gospel by day and then making tents by night to support himself and to support others. He traveled to far places, and this was before the car. So when he says, I went around from Jerusalem all the way around to Lyricum, that is 2,386 kilometers. That's 363 hours of hiking. And if you're really healthy, that's 1,856,863 steps. That's a lot. That's a distance. He walked and he worked and God wants us to work. When God created humans and placed them in the garden, he didn't put them there to lie down in a hammock to eat grapes and to place bets on how fast the animals were. That wasn't why he put them in the garden. Certainly there were moments of rest, even God himself who worked and made all of creation, took the seventh day to rest. That is true, but Genesis 2.15 makes it very clear. God put man in the garden to work it and to take care of it. That in working, we bring glory to God. In Colossians 3 verse 23, we are told, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. If you will not work towards something, you will not achieve anything. I'll say that again. If you will not work towards something, you will not achieve anything. And honestly, I was debating calling this point work hard because reality is all work is hard if you're doing it right. Working hard means you get up early. It means you delay enjoyment to get something done. It means you're doing the things you really don't want to do because they need to get done. It means you have a to-do list for the things you got to do for the day, for the week, and you're actually checking them off. It means most of your hours, Monday to Friday, are accounted for, that you are doing something that has purpose for most of your day. We must be people who work hard for the glory of Christ. Praise God. Next thing we gotta do is we gotta stay focused. We have to stay focused. You gotta work hard, but you need to, to stay the course. It's interesting. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome. He's writing it. He's never actually visited the church. Twice in the letter to the Romans, he's like, I, I wanna come in chapters one 
And later in chapter 15, he wants to come to them. He says in chapter one that it would be for their mutual encouragement. Like he thinks it's gonna be really encouraging when he comes and he sees them. He even prays to God that he would be able to come and see them, but he never went, which is interesting. In his own words from chapter one, he was hindered by his obligation to preach the gospel in places where Christ has not been named. What that tells me is he was focused. He had to stay the course. There was a great opportunity for him to go to Rome and be encouraged and to be an encouragement, and that would have been a great thing, and Paul would not have been wrong for doing that. But that's not what he was supposed to do. He had a thing to do, and he stayed focused. Distractions are plentiful. Some distractions are meaningless, like endless streaming services. I said it. Some things are meaningless, and they are a distraction. But there are things that are good things that can be a distraction. It takes tremendous discernment on how best to use your time and what you need to focus on. It takes uh, knowing your goals and knowing your direction, but really, it takes prayer. It takes humble dependence. God, God, what do you want me to do? And that leads us to the third practical here. We gotta depend on the Lord. You gotta depend on the Lord. That means prayer must saturate every part of our lives. Why? Because we are what we are by the grace of God and we do what we do by the power of God. Prayer must be the anchor of our parenting. Prayer must be the anchor of our businesses. Prayer must be the anchor of our education. Prayer must saturate every part of our lives. We need to be regularly acknowledging that if it was not for God in Christ, we would still be slaves to sin and lost without hope. And it is through prayer it is through prayer that we ask God for his power to do what he has called us to do. Proverbs 16.3 says this, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. In our world today, and I get caught up in this sometimes too, we see those people who are successful, just Google their name and, how did they get there? Like, what did they do? What, what, was the, what was the secret sauce? What was the, you know, we're all looking for that secret sauce to be successful, to, there's no, there's no secret. There's no secret to godly ambition. Everybody knows how this works. God takes the foolish and the weak things of this world to spread his gospel and to do great things, period. It's always been that way, no secrets. You have not because you ask not. And when you do ask, you ask to spend it on your own selfish ambition. So of course you get nothing. Ask God for his power to do his will for his glory in your life. And God will fulfill the ministry he has for you like he does for Paul. We need to pray. We need to pray. So those are the first two lessons that we glean from the life of Paul in regards to his ambition. And uh, here's a third and uh, final one. It's this. In our ambition, we should spread the name of Christ everywhere 
everywhere and beyond. A few observations here. Verse 20, I'll read it to you. He says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. First observation is Paul's ambition is to preach the gospel. Now there are many ways in which we can communicate the gospel. It can be taught. It can be catechized. It can be debated. It can be dramatized. It can be demonstrated by love and good works, which are all tremendous ways in which the gospel must be communicated. But the way in which Paul is convinced the gospel must be communicated is through preaching. To preach means to herald or to proclaim boldly. In God's wisdom and knowledge, he has ordained that the primary means in which the gospel is to be spread is through preaching. People who go out and proclaim that Jesus has come, that he has died, and that he rose again. Paul's convinced that churches must faithfully proclaim the truth from the pulpit. We have classes, which are incredible. We have small groups. We have outreaches. Lord willing, we will have kids ministry. But even, even if we cannot do all, those thing, all of those things, we're going to be doing this thing. We are going to proclaim the truth of the gospel. Paul has something a little bit more specific to his calling. It's to preach the gospel, but he has something more specific. He says he is called not just to preach the gospel, but to preach it where Christ has not been named. To, to go where no foundation has been laid. And we know that the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. It's right there. We know that no church is built on anything except the person and the message and the work of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is convinced that he needs to go to places where there are no churches. There is no foundation. You can't go down the street and find a Christian. No Christians, no nothing. He wants to go and make known the name of Christ where it has not been made known. That's his specific calling. And we need to understand that though this is Paul's ambition and this is his specific calling, he is not saying that this is everyone's specific calling, right? We're learning from Paul's example. He's not commanding us to do this. We're learning from his example. And if you notice the life of Paul, he laid foundations. He went where no one else went. But then what, he, what, he, what would he do? He would train up pastors and leaders and make disciples, and then they would build on the foundation. And often, we'll see next week, that Paul would get the churches involved to support the work of ministry, the point here, the principle here for us is that we must all be contributing to the spread of the name of Christ, whether that's by laying new foundations, by building on foundations that's already been laid, or by supporting the work of ministry. So what does this look like for us? Okay, some of us have a calling similar to Paul. We need to get up, and we need to get out and go to the three billion people in our world today who still have no idea who Jesus is. I'm not making up that number. Three billion people who have no access to a church, who have no access to another Christian. This is called pioneer missions. 
And the church must be raising up people who are ambitious to see Christ named where he has yet to be named, to lay a foundation where no foundation has been laid. But how do you, how do you know if that's you? How do you know if you're called to do this? The first thing I want to dispel is that you need to have some sort of amazing supernatural experience to know that you're called to this, into this life of pioneer missions. It's interesting because the Apostle Paul had one of those tremendous experiences. He was on the road to Damascus and the resurrected Lord appeared to him and called him and then blinded him. It was, it was just this incredible vision. And some of us are just hoping something like that will happen to me. But notice in our text, when Paul talks about his specific call to go out, he doesn't quote his, he doesn't reference his experience. He quotes a scripture. He says, Isaiah 52, verse 15, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. Paul says, I'm doing this because the Bible tells me to. And so is the same for us. Jesus Christ says, I'm gonna send out witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's in his word, it's a call. And some of you are compelled, even in this moment as I'm preaching, you're like, oh, oh, I'm the guy for the ends of the world. I'm the girl to go overseas. I'm the person to go where Christ has yet to be named. You don't need a supernatural experience. What you need is a word, which is supernatural. And then of course, if that's you, you gotta come to the elders of your church and we gotta pray. We gotta pray together. You gotta let us know this is on your heart to do something like this. Even Paul, the incredible apostle Paul, when he went on his first missionary journey, he didn't just get up and go. He got up and he went to the, to the, to the church in Antioch and the leaders there laid their hands on him and, and prayed over him in Barnabas and sent them. You need to be called from the word, respond to the word and be sent by the church. Now for the rest of us, which I'm assuming is the majority of us, there is still work to be done in our city. Foundations need to be built upon. Some foundations need to be torn up and rebuilt how, how, how corroded they've gotten. There is work to do in your family. There are loved ones that need to hear the gospel. There are still children who need to be discipled. There are new believers in our church that need to be baptized and taught. There are small groups that need to be led. There are outreaches that need to be expanded. There are businesses that need to be started so they can support the work of ministry locally and abroad. We need more businesses in our church. We need more politicians in our church. We need more social workers, teachers, doctors in our church. We need more social media influencers and gamers. You're like, what? Where did that come from? Did you know that the two Muslim converts in our church were reached online through TikTok and COD? And if you don't know what that is, Google it, because I'm not fully sure. But here, <laughs> the church, sorry. Church, the Bible doesn't lay out exactly what everyone should do for the spread of the name of Christ. It's unique to you. It's discerned through time and prayer and planning, but, but, it will always be for the spread of the name of Christ further than it's been before and it's accomplished by ambitious people. 
one last, one last time, eyes on the text, verse uh, 19 and, and, and 20. Let's read it again. By the power and signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem, listen to this, and all the way around to Lyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. There's a very important observation here that I want to end with. Paul says his ministry has been fulfilled from Jerusalem all the way to Lyricum. And then in the very next moment, he says, and thus I make it my ambition. Paul at this stage in his life is old, okay? He's not a young, young guy. Most of us at this point would say, look what, look what I've done. I'm getting older, it's time to close up shop. It's time to take a break. Not Paul, not us. Paul says, the gospel's gone everywhere, all around Asia. It's, it's there. And now I got to go even further. Parents, maybe you've discipled your children. But what about further? What about their friends? What about your neighbors? Business owners, you've created a culture of Christian values. You've, you've set a Christ-like example to your customers and to your employees. You've supported gospel ministries. You've done it. You've done it. But what's next? What else can your venture do for the glory of God? Retired person, you've lived a life of faithful service. You've raised kids, led small groups, eldered in churches. What's next? And at this point, I know I run the risk of finishing this message. And maybe some of you are wondering if Pastor Daniel thinks that we're unambitious. <laughs> maybe that's why he's preaching this message. That's not, that's not my heart at all. Um, everything I've said today is just a reminder. That's all it is. I have seen in your faith a worth ethic that is hardworking. This is a hardworking church. And to be honest, I'm often, often put to shame by the way you all work for the Lord. I am tremendously encouraged in your ambition for the Lord. But the Lord brought this passage today. I didn't choose it. Church, foundations need to be laid and built on in our city and throughout the world. Greater work is still to be done and it will only be done with ambitious children of God. So let's be ambitious people for the right things in the right way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, how you call us to live for you and how you empower us to do the work that you've called us to do. And Lord, what you're looking for is not cowards. You're not looking for people who will just hide away. You're looking for people who will step up and with ambition and gospel motivation and grace-fueled ambition, see your name spread. And God, we have tremendous faith that there's so much work still to be done. And I pray and plead with you in the name of Jesus, would this church be used, would this church be an ambitious church, would this church be a church dependent on prayer and who goes out boldly? Would we go out further than we've ever gone before? 
where we do the work that you've called us to do. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, please visit hopechurchtw.ca.